how can you think about, how can you show your thinking when you've never finished a piece to think about? because it's been so interrupted by the teacher and all this other stuff. So I, I think that's a problem. But I do think when you mentioned the fact that we do it to show that the learning is happening in the classroom, if you will, to show that thinking. But I think that's the pressure also, and you're an administrator, but I think that's the pressure also that teachers get from administrators. They're walking by. And I mean, I had this last year. You weren't there, but I had, which I'm still, I'm Okay. Okay, that you left and went to become an administrator. I'm okay with right. it. <laughs> I'm not holding any grudges. <laughs> I just it. But I was there, and our kids were reading because you had established this whole thing with our with the department that we read, and everybody was reading, and we had administrators come by, and their first question was, and it wasn't our our in the building administrators. These are new district people that I don't even know them. I don't even, I can't even tell you their names, but they came by and their first comment to our academic coach was, why are they all reading? And it's like, well, why are we not reading? I don't understand how, you know, but our kids were all reading. We had a system set up where the kids had moments and we all agreed on it as a department. And we agreed on it from when you had established it. And we had reading time and it was not a short little five minute, 10 minute reading time. It was a little bit longer and, um, you know, it varied depending on the classroom. But the whole thing is that the the thing was, why are they reading? And it's like, I just wanted, I didn't get to talk to them. But my, my thing is, why would you not read in reading? And I know we've said this, I've said this a hundred times on our podcast, but when you're in science, you do science and you read. When you're in in history, you're reading, and when you're in and thinking about history, but when you're in math, you're doing math, are you not? And so, in reading, that's our opportunity to get the kids to actually practice the reading in a, in a way that's natural to them, and so they can better understand it. But we're so busy trying to show people that that they're thinking about their reading that they're really not able to think at all because we've never let them finish a piece of an assignment without without interrupting it and the brain needs like you said it takes a while to get into the zone and then once you get in the zone you know when i mean how many kids have truly gotten into the book where minutes and hours have actually disappeared because you've entered into this new world but you can't do that in a few minutes and say, oh, by the way, now you got to think about this. Oh, and you need to think about, and now you make sure you write down what you wonder about. Make sure you write down what you're surprised by, you know, and you're doing that through the whole piece. You never get a chance to even get into the zone. So I, I think it's a big disservice to our students and it really hurts the reading culture that we might be trying to create. So the, I mean, hats off to the teachers right now, because I feel like they are really, in a situation where they're getting it from all sides, but yet what they know inside and internally when they see their kids, that their kids just need time to read and get into a book so that we can at least talk about it later, not while it's going on. So there is, I got a funny story for you. Okay. So I did, I'm almost done with my 
observations for this year. Um, I have the most of the assistant principals this year, which is always fun. Um, which I wanted. And I was like, I want, I want the vast majority. This is what I love to do. I love looking at instruction. Favorite thing mm -hmm. to analyze, to coach, to uh, do all the things with. Um, and I had two big departments, English and our career and technical education department. And for English, it's so funny. So Malin Bannister, we've talked about her before. She was on Teach Me Teacher fame. I've shared her stuff on the Teach Me Teacher page before. But she, you know, she's the head cheer coach, but she's also our one of our English One teachers. And they, in the morning, at the very top of our school, they all sit in the hallway, like in the mornings, and they have their coffee, and it's like a little powwow, and it's cool because it's all the teachers, like just literally in a circle, um, and they're just sitting there. The kids are, some of them are in classes, some of them are hanging out with them, some of them are doing whatever. Anyway, one of the teachers, um, they were, she was talking about me coming to observe her because she knew it was coming, and she goes, well... You, she was like, well, in this time we're busy. And so, cause they had to meet with counselors and stuff. So we'll, we'll, we won't be in there. And then when we get back, we're going to read for a little bit. So if you want to, you can come after reading and Bannister looked at her and goes, no, you want him to see the reading. This is what, that's what he cares about. <laughs> and I just thought it was funny because one, she was correct. Well, that's why I tell them all the time. I'm like, no, don't, I'm not the administrator that's going to say I'll come after they're done reading. Cause if I can come into your space, I, I can tell a heck of a lot about your reading culture in your classroom by watching kids read a hundred percent. I can. And so can you as the teacher in the space, you can mm -hmm. get a pulse for where your kids are at in their reading. Cause there's times when you're doing independent reading and as the teacher and you're like, man, what is going on? Like you're just, it's like whack-a-mole. There's, there's a distraction here, there's a distraction there before you know it, 15 minutes has gone by and you feel like no one has gotten into the reading at all. Right. Then there's times when that 15 minutes, 20 minutes has gone by and you're like, holy crap. Like I was, yeah, things were going so well that you got invested in a book and you were able to, to get into stuff or conferences were just going so well, or it was so quiet or the kids, when the bell rings, like they're not, they're not shifting 30 seconds before the timer goes off. It's just complete silence. And then when it goes off, they're like, oh, and there's, there's a difference. And so I, I've tried to keep that culture going as an administrator because I was like, I refuse to push that. But it's also like, no, I want to come into your space when kids are reading because what you're doing tells me a lot about how you're managing the reading culture. Are you conferencing? Are you reading with them? Are you walking around? Are you sitting at your desk? Are you answering emails? Um, but also the kids. the Because ki if the kids are really invested in what they're doing, I know that the reading culture is strong, that they are looking forward to this time in some way or fashion. Does that mean all of them are the most engaged ever? No, because the reality is most people are teaching at public schools. Most kids or a lot of kids have different backgrounds. Not everyone's going to be fully invested. They might be distracted. They got broken up with that morning. There's a football game later. There's a pep rally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you can just tell. You can tell in that space. And like you, I think you, you're the one who said there was a, there's like a moment, like you can hear like the pace of pages turning. And that's something that you always point mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is, it's super important, but this all goes into the, the reading culture piece, but I, I want to kind of pivot just for a hot second 
or maybe for a good hot second into you kind of alluded to, you know, teachers are getting it from every angle and, you know, mm-hmm. they're being told to do this, being told to do that. Things are changing. The reading wars continue on. It, it feels like every district under the sun is now saying we need more restrictions on reading time, how kids are being instructed to read, what this looks like. And I don't see a lot of advocacy for kids to actually read. There's a lot of stuff of reading. There's a lot of doing acts with reading, tasks with reading. But it seems like the reading itself is kind of going away again. It's like, I guess it's a, it's another phase. Cause when I came mm-hmm. into, when I came into teaching, we were kind of going out of the phase of the task oriented reading. And then it was into independent reading. Now it's like, we're coming out of it again. Um, and that's worrisome. And I know you were, before we came on, you were reading an article that was shared by, uh, Dr. Mary Howard. Um, and you had some interesting things on there. Let's, let's, let's dive into that and see oh, okay. if this can enlighten us a little bit. So guide us through what you were looking at. Well, Mary, Mary Howard, Dr. Howard, she posted on X today, an article about, and, and it's on the side against it's, it's called, it's actually by Catherine It's a group of them from South Carolina. Cause I think the Carolinas are really getting this hit hard. I think Texas is too, because my friends are talking to me about it. But anyway, Catherine Compton, Lily, uh, Lucy K. Spence, Paul Thomas, Scott L. Decker, they're all from South Carolina and, and the universities and stuff there, but they wrote, um, they wrote an article or uh, a research piece Uh, I think it's called Stories Grounded in Decades of Research, What We Truly Know About the Teaching of Reading. And it was done uh, just recently, November 2nd, 2023. So this is pretty current. But anyway, it's really talking and arguing against the fact that, um, that only teaching phonics is not really a proven science. And the thing is, it's not... It's not that teaching a phonics is a bad thing. That's not what they're talking about. But teaching it in isolation all by itself, and you're depending on that in order to create reading, uh, really does narrow the scope of of, uh, helping students completely read with understanding. Uh, They talk about how complex uh, reading actually is. And what was really fascinating to me was when they started, they, they talked about all different types of, you know, started off with this idea of the science of reading, the fact that they thought, um, um, you know, because you have, you have different sounds like, like, like the OU, uh, GH is set, you know, it sounds differently depending on the word meaning, et cetera. And, and so it talks about how that's just only one aspect of it, but, what was fascinating, it also went through and it talked about how uh, this is interesting, that they feel like the science of reading movement has has been has resurfaced, if you will, because it was there before, like you said. But it says that politicians and stuff have actually created a, a manufactured a reading crisis. So I thought that was kind of fascinating. So they talk about how they're saying we're really at risk. And so we've got to go back to the basics, which is the science of reading idea. Uh, and then it, it, it just, it, it 
you know, it continues. But anyway, in the article, some things that I found was really fascinating is that when we actually teach reading, reading is so complex that um, they it, it actually happens in different parts of the brain. And I thought that was really fascinating. And they said, this is why you can't depend on just one aspect of it. And so it gave a chart. There, I mean, this is a long, long article. So I'm just trying to kind of uh, summarize a little bit of it. But it, it talks about phonetics, you know, the sounds of language. That only happens in one part of the brain, in the in the in the auditory area and the in the temporal lobe. And then it talks about orthographics. Now, orthographics, those are that's your grammar. That's how that's how everything works. That's your rules and your conventions. It actually happens in the occipital temporal ventral. <laughs> you know, it's complicated, but it, another part of the brain semantics which of course is word meanings and general knowledge uh, that happens in the temporal parietal and frontal cortex that's where the thinking the, the abstract thinking and all of that where you bring it all together that happens in the frontal cortex and then the syntax the arrangement of those words and sentences actually happens in the left side of your brain so when you're looking at teaching if you're just teaching phonics what they're arguing is you're only teaching one part of your brain to actually do the reading you're not actually doing all the other stuff and i guess their hope is is if we can at least teach them the sound of language then all this other will come uh to the students but they're saying that's not really happening with the beginning readers so we're actually hurting the beginning readers and so in order to really teach these kids we have to come to it with an interconnected, multidisciplinary, multi, uh, I, I said it earlier when I was talking to you a little bit better, but, you know, uh, multiple ways. We can't just sit there and do it that one way. So we've got to, we've got to allow our students to deal with the semantics. We got to allow them to deal with meaning and, and, and in order to deal with meaning, the only way that the brain works and puts all those words together is from their culture, the stuff that they already know. And I think you indicated that earlier. So that was kind of fascinating that, that, and that, that, you know, we did a whole uh, episode about building background knowledge. And so our kids, a lot of times are saying they, it's not that they can't, it's, it's that they're, we are not teaching them from their own, uh, cultural backgrounds and their own deficiencies. We're not realizing what they're, you know, we're teaching them from maybe our own culture, but not necessarily their culture. So, so you, we have to understand their backgrounds and, and, and those types of things. Um, so anyway, this, it was really kind of fascinating. Uh, and then it talks about like four kids, like one kid reads fluently but doesn't understand any, anything that they read. And I've had some of those kids like, when when I read this part, I'm like, oh, I know that kid. I remember when I had to teach, I had to figure out how to get them to. I mean, they they love to read out loud. They love to read to the class, but but guess who had the lowest score? They did because they were just reading the words. They weren't really thinking about what they were reading. And then another one can talk about the stories, but not know all the words, but really understand what the story is all about. But maybe not mention, you know, can't pronounce all the words. And then another kid um, misreads the words, but reads really fast so that the teacher can't notice the mistakes. And uh, and then another one freezes up. They 
they read everything accurately. They pretty much understand. But when they get to a point where they don't understand because they don't know that word, they wait for the teacher to give them the word. And I've had those kids too, where they're, those are the fake readers. They pretend to read uh, AP, pre-AP GT kids do this really well, honors kids, but they know that the teacher's going to give them the answer. The way I was taught in high school, as I was telling you, uh, they, they start you know, you, you get through that little chapter and then you're supposed to answer all the questions. And then the teacher, you go over the questions. But if you wait long enough, the teacher's going to give you the answer on accident. So then you can just go ahead and put that answer down. You get your 100 because you know how to wait for the teacher. So anyway, what they're saying here is as teachers, we have to be kid watchers. And you and I've talked about this is that we really have to watch these kids and we have to take anecdotal notes. We have to observe reading. We have to understand when we look at these kids to be able to dissect, if you will, what they need and give them what they need and not just blanket phonics because not every one of those kids needed just phonics. It wasn't going to be the solution to the entire reading problem. So one of them needed semantic help. One of them needed phonics help. Another one didn't need the phonics, but they have to be able to think about what they read. And so when we are teaching these kids, we've got to be looking around, taking our anecdotal notes, conferencing like you and I talked about. I thought it really supported what our approach. And um and we've got to get we got to teach these kids literacy. You know what I mean? Just we have to be able to teach them. But then it addressed at the end of it, what do teachers need to do? What do we need to do? Because it did bring up the fact that this push for the science of reading is so great that teachers don't know what to do. And in other words, they're they're stuck. And so in that sense, they said one of the things that you could do is if you've got these kids that are that are reading all the words, but not understanding what they read. You need to take anecdotal notes and ask your support, like your academic instructional coaches, your principals like you, the instructional principal, those people, your English people, you know, whoever your support is. And you take these anecdotal notes on these students who can read, but then, but they, but they can't really understand what they're reading. They're able. So you, so you, you watch them read, you watch them struggle You've done all this stuff with them. So now can you help me? So you take these anecdotal notes. You say, this is how the student is. They're reading all the words, but look, they're failing all the tests. What do I do? Can you help me? So when you put these kids back in front of these people that are promoting the science of reading, they have to deal with the other three issues that students need in order to read and read well. Anyway, I thought, I thought it was a fascinating article. It was very long, uh, but... I found it fascinating. I thought I like their arguments. It supported me. So of course I like their arguments, but um, I've always, I, I have, when I teach kids, when they're reading and I see that they're struggling, I teach them the phonics, but I teach it and I teach it when that student needs it, especially at the secondary level. I have kids that need those, those phonics, those type of things. They need to know how the words sound. They need to know the spelling rules. They need to know, but not every kid needs to know that at that time because they've already mastered it somewhere along the way, probably because they were like you or like what we're talking about. They come from a background where there's a lot of reading. My son, I talked about his reading. We went over to his house the other day and um, my daughter-in-law is, she's a, she's a reading teacher. She's a, 
an elementary teacher. And so, but she's been working with those kids. These kids are surrounded in books. You can sit there on the couch with my grandchildren and they will bring you and it will last. You know how when you take a, you know how when you have a, a dog that loves to, to play fetch and they'll just go get that ball all day long, go get it and bring it back, go get it and bring it back. That's how my grandchildren are. They'll sit there and they'll go get a book and you read that book. Okay. They'll go get another one. They'll leave. They'll go get like five of them. All of my grandchildren, they, cause their parents are readers. They're surrounded by books. Well, that kid, those kids later on are not going to need the phonics. They need the deeper understanding. They need to know what, you know, when they get to school. So are we going to slow them down and give them just phonics? Anyway, that's it. Sorry, that took a long time on that, but there you no, go. <laughs> that's what that's kind of what I wanted. I mean, because it's okay. There's there's a lot to that. I mean, it's because we can talk more about phonics and stuff and and dive into it. We we've talked about the reading wars before, but it's there's one perspective that really does show like a, a diversity in terms of approach for teaching kids how to read and how to read deeply and how to think deeply about their reading. And there's one approach that is very systematic and easy to digest and easy to put in programs and easy to put money towards and easy to put data on. And my kid is yelling in the background. Sorry, everybody. Um, he just got something in the mail, I think, but, uh, the approach that we're advocating for isn't anti-phonics. It's not anti-anything. It's all of this needs right. to work together in tandem in order for you to reach every kid because kids are different. There's going to be different kid to kid to kid is going to require different needs. Now, are there some things that generally work? Yes. Like creating reading culture in your classroom is going to get more kids into reading and more kids wanting to read a hundred percent. It will giving kids books that are interesting, letting them read comics, letting them read magazines, letting them read all kinds of things is going to get them to invest in things. But saying that we always have to follow the quote unquote science of reading, which isn't really a science at all. It's a combination of a bunch of things or saying we have to follow this phonics program at all times. It's, it's incredibly limiting for, for no real reason other than it seems like administrative Prozac. It makes people feel better because mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's easier to say, do this program than to coach an adult on how to be a great kid watcher and how to really in the moment hear a kid read, hear them talk about reading and know what they need next. And it takes time. This is a, this is a skilled process. And I think that that's where we're letting teachers down as administrators, as legislators, as experts, so to speak. And why I think I, why I know I really love what we do on this podcast is because it takes time to become a master at teaching kids how to read. It, it takes time to become a master at teaching kids how to write, but we don't always afford teachers that time. We put so much pressure on them. We put so much emphasis on all of the small things rather than saying, hey, you know what? It's going to take you four to eight years to even be comfortable doing this. 
-hmm. Now another 10 years to master it. Now another 10 years to be so comfortable that you can talk to other people about it. Um, now that might have been an over <laughs> an overestimate <laughs> on those years, but it, the point is still the same. And I think that I think that's where you and I love to kind of wade through, and why the long formness of this podcast, and why we've spent so many episodes relatively talking about the same subjects, is because this stuff is deep and there's a lot of nooks and crannies and there's a lot of nuances to what does it mean to teach reading and writing. And so I highly recommend people go check out that article. Um, we'll put a link in that, um, to everyone. We'll obviously post it in the Patreon page for everyone. I'm sure people would want to do that. Maybe we can even get a discussion going over there on the Patreon page. Maybe we can leave up a public post. Um, that way everyone can have access to it and then maybe we can get some listeners over there um, and they can join in, give their thoughts on something that might be kind of fun yeah. um, to do, to let people parse through it and have their own arguments and maybe they have counter arguments, right? We always, we, we, we welcome a good, a good counter, but ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Crap the Drive podcast. That's Pamela Choa. I'm Jacob Chastain. We're two educators down in the state of Texas doing what we love talking about reading, writing, workshop and so much more. Thank you for everyone who continues to support us on Patreon, getting bonus episodes, bonus content, and so much more, including Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna, all supporting us over there just like you can. If you can't, that's okay. Leave a review to the podcast. That really does help. Just hit that review button. Hit the five-star button subscribe so you don't miss anything come back next week for another fantastic episode and know that we are here for you